Today's episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15 is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving with their Lawnmower 3.0 personal trimmer. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. And the Lawnmower 3.0 is a waterproof cordless body trimmer that makes it safe and easy. Subscribe to the perfect package and get a new replacement blade refill for your trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts, a travel bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance Manscaped boxer briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC20. An injury to a longtime elite player gives us a reason to survey the second base landscape. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not had uh, three go-throughs uh, yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Friday, September 4th. Al Melchior here, and I am here with Derek Van Riper and DVR. Very excited for today's show. We've got some uh, interesting stuff to go over, but we are, for the I believe, the second time during this season. We're going to do a, a doubleheader show. Uh, so we're, we're going to have our normal fantasy in 15, and then we've got a, a bonus 15 minutes or so. Um, we're going to be talking to the co-authors of Loving Sports When They Don't Love You Back, um, the Athletics' own Kavitha Davidson, and also Jessica Luther. Really looking forward to that DVR. But um, let's get on with the you know normal episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. And good news for the Oakland Athletics. They are going to resume play on Friday against the Padres. So they come off of their COVID-19 related pause. Um, not such good news for Jose Altuve. He is scheduled to undergo an MRI on his right knee. He's been having some, some knee issues. But this race is an issue and something I've been wanting to talk with you about on the show anyway. I mean, he's just not having a good season so far. A 225, 286, 324 slash line. And if you're thinking maybe he's... A Babbitt victim, uh, he's got a 232 expected batting average. So there's just not been a lot of power. He's not pulling balls for power. He's not hitting for average. So, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see what the results are for this MRI. But is it just time, even if Jose Altuve emerges completely healthy, is it just time to sit him? You know, it really could be, which is strange to say. I mean, he still plays a ton. He's still in a lineup that puts runs on the board. I mean, you really don't want to go down that path, but in some instances you may have to. I think this raises a broader question. Who would you actually play over him given the state of the second base position? This was actually a position that on draft day, while it looked top heavy, it looked like the mid-tier and the lower tier options were actually pretty good. And it's been pretty messy through the first two-thirds of this shortened 2020 season. 
Yeah, no, and it's it's not the uh, second base landscape that you know we expected to see. And granted, you know that happens every year with lots of positions as you have players emerge and players uh, have unexpectedly bad seasons. But just to give you an idea, with that backdrop that you give us, DBR Altuve currently ranks twenty fourth among second basemen in roto value. So, I mean, that just highlights how bad he's been. And while we're talking about Altuve, when I was looking at those rankings, just one step above him, and I wasn't really surprised to see this, Cattell Marte, 23rd in roto value at the position. So, you know, we've got a couple of players to think about. And then to, to you know, finally get around to answering your question, we, you know, as we've got players surprisingly low in the rankings, we've got players who are surprisingly high in the rankings. Jonathan Scope is currently fourth in those Roto rankings at second base. Robinson Cano, who we talked about earlier this week on the program, ranks fifth and Wilmer Flores ranks sixth. So I think among those three, you, you've got some alternatives. I'm totally buying into what Cano is doing. I'm a little more um, skeptical of Scope and Flores, but I've got Flores in one league and I'm just riding the hot hand with him. And also don't forget Gavin Lux, who doesn't rank because he just was recently recalled. But, uh, you know, I would consider starting Lux over Altuve at this point. Yeah, and again, you're looking for micro-level changes that push Altuve back in the right direction. If he starts hitting the ball harder, if he starts putting more balls in play, starts doing some of the things that are not currently in those underlying numbers, then you can start maybe pushing him back into your lineups. It's just one of those things I didn't expect to be talking about in 2020. I didn't think Jose Altuve going to the bench was something we'd really consider uh, in mixed leagues at all. It's interesting that Brandon Lau, I think on some player raiders, is the most valuable player at second base so far this season. Uh, One of the few players that we expected to be somewhere in the top eight or so at the position, Whit Merrifield, is actually tied for second using the Rotowire earned auction values. So, uh, it's been a crazy year, and it just makes you wonder, too, how would this really play out if we still had you know, four times as many games left to play? Like That could change a lot about how things look. I think it's going to be really difficult to evaluate players going into the 2021 season because of the makeup of this season, and the second base position is a great reflection of that. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you raised that because this is something that I was uh, wanting to discuss on the show. And, and we'll probably just deal with this in more detail uh, on, a, on a future show. But just to, just to raise the issue that, you know, I find myself making decisions differently. And this maybe this isn't something I would have raised on the show if it was May 4th instead of September 4th. Um, be just like, well, you know, it's only been a little bit more than a month. And this is Jose Altuve. You got to write it out. But you know, with, with three weeks left, it's a very different calculus. And I wonder how much of a struggle it's going to be assuming there's a full season in 2021. And that's not necessarily a safe assumption, but assuming that there is, um, how much of a struggle is it going to be to revert to my prior roster calculations or, or uh, criteria for, for start sit decisions? Well, I mean, you've played fantasy baseball for what, 15, 20 years? I mean, 20 plus years. Yeah. <laughs> 25, actually. I played for about 15 and I think old habits die hard. I do think it's good to take some of the things we're looking at this season and possibly carry them over. But I still think your heart's probably telling you to be patient with a player like Altuve. Your head's just saying, look, there's three weeks left. If he has to go on the IL, we don't know for sure yet. He misses half of that time. Playing time is everything in this shortened season. Like the skills, you can look at some granular stuff. You can look at hard hit data. You can look at uh, barrel rates. You can look at how 
players are controlling the strike zone, and you can try your absolute best to turn those numbers into the best analysis possible. But the thing I keep coming back to, if someone's not playing enough in a mixed league, I'm cutting them. And it's burned me a few times. Sam Hilliard wasn't playing a couple weeks ago. I cut him. He's playing more now. He's basically the guy I thought he would be. But that's just how it goes. If he continued to not play, I couldn't afford to have him taking up a valuable spot on my roster. So I do think playing time is king in this season. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. And I've been there too and had to try to get players back that I cut, you know, maybe two weeks earlier. So that's just a, a part of it. Uh, injuries have been a part of this season. We've got more injuries and health situations to report on here. We've got an interesting rotation situation developing. We've got some standout performances and also just a look ahead to next week. So we got a lot coming up here. But before we get to all of that, we're just going to take a quick break here uh, to get a message from one of our sponsors. All right, DVR. Well, let's get to some of the injury news. Um, Ian Happ had to exit early from the Cubs game on Thursday against the Pirates. He had a foul ball ricochet off of his right eye. And, um, you know, considering how bad that could have been, the news is encouraging. He had x-rays that came back negative. He's been diagnosed with a contusion. So hopefully Ian Happ is not out for too long. Uh, James Paxton uh, played catch on Thursday, and he is trying to keep on a pace where he could possibly make another start or two this season. Um, at least uh, that's coming to us from uh, Brian Hoke of uh, MLB.com. Uh, I'm keeping Paxton um, in in one league where, you know, frankly, my IL spots are, uh, you know, really starting to pile up. But um, is there any rationale for for letting packs to go given that that development if you've got fab redemption like we have in mixed out wars i think there's a pretty strong case for still letting him go uh, at this point in the season it's half of whatever you paid on auction day i happen to have paxton i'm probably going to redeem him for fab because i need to keep uh, trying to stream pitchers and you know, i'm gonna have to replace players who probably get hurt down the stretch and i'm so low budget wise that Injury optimism is not a good idea for me. And of course, before he went on the IL, the velocity drop we saw from Paxton was concerning enough to the point where I'm not as optimistic about him once he comes back or if he comes back as I was coming into the season. I loved James Paxton coming into this shortened season because I thought he had time to be uh, completely healthy You know, with the delayed start. I thought the skills were being undervalued and he's just not the same guy. At least he hasn't been to this point in the season. Uh, no, that's for sure. Um, and some other Yankees news, Glaber Torres is expected to return this Saturday or Sunday. Uh, Alex Bregman also could be close to returning, according to the Athletics' Jake Ka- uh, Kapler. Excuse me, Jake Kaplan, trying to turn him into a manager, apparently. Uh, David Fletcher has been placed on the injured list by the Angels with a sprained left ankle. And the White Sox sent Ronaldo Lopez to the alternate training site. Uh, he has certainly struggled a lot, but the reports I had been seeing uh, leading up to this were more along the lines of Lopez might go to the bullpen. So pretty big move there for the White Sox. And if you're wondering who might replace Lopez in the rotation, Carlos Rodon, who's been out with a sore shoulder, he's expected to come off the uh, injured list within the next few days, according to Scott Merkin of MLB.com. I don't really have much interest in, in Rodon again. You know, partly because he just doesn't have that much time to to ramp up in terms of innings or performance, but this certainly makes me feel a lot better about Dane Dunning and his place in the White Sox rotation. 
Yeah, I was lukewarm on Dunning previously because I thought he was kind of the odd man out if everybody was healthy, but Lopez has really struggled. The home run rate is through the roof. The walk rate, I think, is more than doubled from where it's been in recent years. Hopefully, the move to the bullpen works for him. I think he could be electric in a short relief role, but command's still going to matter, right? He's still going to have to find a way to cut down on those free passes, to cut down on those long balls if he's going to be an effective late-inning option for the White Sox, maybe even in 2021. I don't know how much they're going to trust him in high-leverage spots once he's back up in the next few weeks. All right, and we have a um, a debut as a starter. I'm not uh, a debut overall, but uh, the Rangers set to start Cal Cody uh, this Friday against the Mariners. So some impressive numbers, but um, you know not uh, at a high level in the minor leagues. So we've seen a number of pitchers make the jump uh, in some cases fairly successfully this year. What's your level of interest in Cal Cody? So it's weird because, you know, Kyle Cody didn't pitch in 2019. He hasn't pitched at the double-A level or above yet, and he's a little bit old. And then you start looking at some of the scouting grades. Over at Fangraphs, he's got a 60-grade fastball, a 55-grade slider, a 55-grade curveball. That all sounds pretty good, but he's got 40-grade command. And the 40 command gives him a 40 future value despite the possibility of having three above-average pitches. So... You're signing up for a high strikeout potential starter who could walk the world and absolutely implode your ratios. I think in deeper leagues where you're looking for any sort of path to just boost the ratios, you're at the point where you're near the bottom of the standings in those categories. You can take a chance on someone like Cody. I think in keeper and dynasty leagues, really deep leagues, Pick them up there, kind of see what happens. But I think as far as your typical mixed leagues, your 10, your 12-team leagues go, you want to be really careful with this profile, just given the lack of upper-level experience in the minors and given the concerns about his command. All right. Well, in those um, shallower types of leagues, Andrew Haney's still around, um, not necessarily universally. I mean, he's not widely available, but he's also not universally uh, rostered either. So there's some some reason to check for him. He had a fantastic um, start on Thursday night against the Padres. Um Outdueling uh, Mike Clevenger, by the way, in his Padres debut, going six scoreless innings, just giving up three hits and two walks, um, six Ks on his stat line, lowering his ERA from 462 to 389, but his FIP now all the way down to 268. So seems to be a little bit under rostered um, given given the performance so far. Yeah, totally agree with you. I thought Heaney's projections were a little aggressive by most systems coming into the year, but absolutely good enough to be rostered in those shallow mixed formats where he's available. All right. And then maybe looking a little bit deeper, Martin Perez uh, opening some eyes with a no hitter through six innings uh, against the Blue Jays. Um, Of course that ended in the seventh inning, but uh, interesting profile for him. And, you know, maybe we should have dubbed this uh, Z contact week because we've talked about that stat on a couple of episodes, but um Again, interesting profile for uh, Perez, uh, 83.1% Z contact rate, which is pretty good, but you'll notice he's not getting a lot of whiffs overall, not a lot of strikeouts overall, because he's allowing a lot of contact on out-of-zone pitches, 73.2%, uh, but that that kind of bears out in a very low hard hit rate, 28.3%. Uh, it's, it's a profile that's very uncommon. The only pitcher I could really find that comes close to is Chris Bassett, and I'm you know I think people generally in our community 
look at Bassett a lot more favorably than they do Perez. So is Perez maybe a little bit underrated and underowned in like 15 team leagues? Yeah, that's probably about right. I mean, I think with, with Perez, it's just that he had that long track record after being a very highly regarded prospect where he didn't miss bats. He was not great in ratios from 2014 to 2018 with the Rangers. He just chewed up innings and didn't really bring much to the table. Added the cutter last year for the Twins. Had some hype back in spring training. Started off pitching pretty well. Fell apart. Kind of had the same ratios problems in the past. In fact, they were a bit worse than most of those years that I mentioned. Uh, but I think with you know some of the adjustments he's made, the K rate is up slightly again this year compared to where it was in that five-year stretch before he left Texas. I see him as a guy that you got to play the matchups with. So you know, tread very carefully, but he should be at least on and off rosters in 15-team mixed leagues, maybe even occasionally streamed in a 12-teamer the next time he comes up with a two-star week. All right, and um, just winding up here, looking ahead to next week. Again, you got with the way that the season has been, you got to take the two start projections with a, a grain of salt. But a number of uh, pretty widely available pitchers with uh, two starts. So, just really quickly out of this group, who who do you plan on prioritizing? Michael Pineda, Jordan Montgomery, Robbie Erlin, Juan Oviedo, and Colby Allard. And I'll leave it to you to you know pick the pitcher or two in, in the in the matchups that you like. It's two at home for Pineda against uh, Detroit and Cleveland, so I really like that setup for him. We talked about him, I think, on the Wednesday episode of this pod. I think the fact that he doesn't hurt himself with walks makes him an asset in the whip category. I like the Twins as far as being able to provide run support and some cover in the bullpen to protect a lead. So Pineda's first for me of that bunch. I think Montgomery comes in second. I would go... Colby Allard over Robbie Erlin third. I do think with Erlin, I'm just not sold on the stuff being very good. So he's probably a guy that I'm going to stay away from uh, unless I'm already in that position I described earlier where my ratios are already a mess and I could just take a chance on pretty much anybody for bulk innings. All righty. And then uh, just to finish up here, uh, you know, very sad news about uh, Tom Seaver passing away this Monday. Uh, age of 75 um, from complications of Louis uh, body dementia and COVID-19. Tom Seaver was one of the first real superstars I remember watching as a kid, watching with the Mets and, of course, later on uh, with the Reds. Um, And Mark Craig has just written a terrific piece in appreciation of the franchise. So uh, whether you remember Tom Seaver or, um, you know, he was maybe before your time, it's uh, definitely a worthwhile read. So, that's going to wrap this uh, up for this first part of the doubleheader episode DVR. Uh, but uh, coming up, a very, very exciting interview. And now it is time for the, the second part of our doubleheader. And I am just really, really honored to have uh, a couple of guests uh, join us today who have written a fantastic book, um, actually just released earlier this week, Loving Sports When They Don't Love You Back. Uh, we have with us from The Athletic, uh, Kavitha A. Davidson and also Jessica Luther. And just before uh, I start peppering uh, Jessica and Kavitha with questions, uh, 
a little bit more of an introduction is definitely uh, due here. Uh, Kavitha here on The Athletic is the host of The Lead podcast, and she's also written for ESPNW, ESPN The Magazine, and Bloomberg, among many other publications. Jessica is the author of Unsportsmanlike Conduct, College Football, and the Politics of Rape, and she has also written for ESPN The Magazine as well as Sports Illustrated, The New York Times Magazine, and Texas Monthly. So uh, Jessica and Kavitha, thank you so much for uh, joining us here on Fantasy Baseball and Thanks for having us. Yeah, our our pleasure. Absolutely. Um, So I want to start just by asking you what the impetus for the book was. I I mean, it's just it's I I suppose it's all always timely, but it seems especially timely right now. And Jessica, in the acknowledgments, you had said that um, you got the idea from a friend. Uh, So what what's the story behind that? Yeah, a friend here in Austin, Texas, where I live. He had this idea that he thought it'd be interesting for me to write a book about, you know, issues in sport. And I was like, yeah, sure. Sounds good. Um, But it really became a thing. Kavitha and I, um, we've been friends for a long time now. I don't even know how long. And we had this conversation around, you know, I guess probably Super Bowl time, you get these you get these articles that are like, how to talk to your boyfriend about the Super Bowl, or like, you know, sports 101 kind of really condescending articles about women's love of sport. And we wanted to write a snarky response to that, like sort of how to talk to your boyfriend. Uh, Like, you know, and then we took it to UT Press and University of Texas Press. And we have a very good editor there. And he kind of made it a much more serious endeavor (laughs) than we originally had. And so that's how we sort of ended up with this very good, uh, smarter book than what we originally had thought about. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting start because, uh, yeah, I didn't detect much snark uh, in the book. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it's a fantastic read. I do recommend it uh, to everybody. And um, just in a, a general question that I think overlays a lot of the, the issues that you raise in the book, how are you finding enjoyment in, uh, in watching sports? And um, I also know that both of you at at various times have played fantasy sports. Um, How do you find enjoyment in those things when in general, we seem to be getting a lot of signals that league executives and team owners uh, don't really have the the players or the fans best interest in mind? I mean, that's kind of the central question of the book, right? Um, Which I think we wrote as much for ourselves as we did for other fans, right? I mean, sports are great. It's just this simple answer to that. Jessica and I are always saying they're just fun. You know, it's really hard to escape that, you know, as hard as we try. Um, But you're right. I mean, it's really clear that these that the people in charge don't actually care about the people who play for them. They don't care about us as fans as long as they can continue to get our money. And they kind of bank on the fact that we will continue to give them our money no matter how poorly they treat us. We have an entire chapter in the book about loving your team when you hate your owner. And obviously, we've interviewed Knicks fans, we interviewed Mets fans. um, We also interviewed Washington football fans. um, Also Clippers fans talking about the Donald Sterling thing, which is a a separate issue, but also related. But of those first three teams that I mentioned, those are all owners who continue to make money, even when they run their teams poorly, which is totally counterintuitive, right? I mean, we're always saying this about Knicks fans, the garden will be sold out no matter what. And it, it, you know, we're always kind of waiting for that time for that one year where we all boycott. And I I haven't seen any signs that that's going to happen. So I mean, I think that that's the difficulty. When it comes to fantasy sports, though, 
I mean, so much about what we love about sports is community. And I just love the ritual of our annual drafts. I'm in a I'm in a fantasy league with um, some neighborhood friends, and they're all like middle aged women and mothers. And it's this like amazing kind of mix of people from from my neighborhood in New York. And then I'm in a in a fantasy group of all of my like, old college friends and we're obnoxious. We went to Columbia and we call ourselves the lion's den. So, you know, there's that. I know it's terrible. We're the worst people. (laughs) We're like that show friends from college, except we're slightly less bad people. (laughs) But, but it's really like, you know, we have these WhatsApp threads and we're always dunking on each other. And it's, it's really just about that community for us. And of course there's a slap bet involved in the college, in the college league. So, you know, I think that just fostering that community is is so important to us and fantasy is a great way for us to continue to do that. Yeah, well, you know, it really says something that, you know, you talked about Donald Sterling and James Dolan and you didn't really even have the space to dig into the Marlins, which unfortunately is the team that I follow the the most closely. I, I even hesitate to say I'm a fan, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that maybe could have been a chapter unto itself. Uh, Jessica, do you have any particular dilemmas with your fandom? Oh, yeah, all the time. But I think one of the like the answer to your question of like, how do you do it is sometimes I don't sometimes I just stop watching sports altogether. And that's the line that I draw because I can't enjoy it. Uh, I always joke that like the other side is that I'm just like a three year old. And I'm like, la 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 la. I can't I can't hear you. I don't know anything about this. It's fine. Uh, And so I don't know. I think that's just a constant battle. I think I think when you are conscious of these things, you just kind of feel gross sometimes. But then there are moments where you just get swept away by it, right? Sports are just fun. Last night, watching um, the Thunder versus the Rockets and that like, I only watched like the last two minutes. It took like 25 years for the last two (laughs) minutes to happen. But it was wild and fun and talk about community. Everyone on social media just dunking pun intended, on how terrible the actual basketball was. Like, that is just, man, I loved every second of it, even though it was like some of the ugliest basketball I had ever seen. So I don't know. I just think you deal with it. And often the sport overcomes these feelings that I have, these negative feelings I have. Yeah, well, and that comes across in the book that you're ju- you're just fans, uh, you know, and, and it's yeah. just something, you know, fan- fandom is just something we, we can't help. Um, so I talked to you a little bit uh, before we we went on air here uh, about your your history with playing fantasy and Kavitha. So it sounds like you you're currently in a league. How do you deal with um, deciding to roster players or not to roster players um, who have done things that you find terrible? So I'm not going to lie. I don't draft players who have done things that I find reprehensible, and it has definitely hurt my fantasy teams. But, you know, that's the microcosm of the decision that actual GMs are making, right? Um, With much smaller consequences. But, you know, especially if it's an early round, I just I feel like there's there's an alternative, there's a way to get around this. And that's kind of, again, just a microcosm of how I feel about this when it comes to real teams and real GMs making these decisions, that there's probably a way not to have to draft this player. But most of the people that I play against don't have the same quandaries, to be honest. So I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage. How do you deal with it when you get a trade offer? Because I, I will tell you, and I don't think I've ever said this, you know, in a public setting, one where there's, you know, 
fantasy players uh, listening. So I'm, I'm, you know, revealing something about how I deal with my own teams here. But, you know, I get offers for, for Araldus Chapman and I'll just make up a reason to mm. reject it. When the real reason is just that it's my team and I want players I want to root for on my team and he's not one of them. So I, how do you deal with that? I mean, I, I think that I'm... I'm a lot less cagey just because the people I play with know who I am, right? And yeah. they know they know how I feel, especially about a role as Chapman. I think with a role as Chapman specifically, um, you can make the same case that you might have made with Greg Hardy, which is that he is just a liability on the field, frankly. I am a Yankees fan, and I think he was clearly throwing at the Rays a couple of days ago um, and is now uh, serving a three-game suspension for it. Yeah, I'm just I'm usually just honest about it. And I can actually I guess I'm lucky because I can actually point to articles I have written usually about that particular player where I can just be like, no, my my feelings about this are already like in the public. So. All right. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, I guess that makes that less of a dilemma in a (laughs) sense. Then, Uh, Well, you know, sticking with the topic of of fantasy sports, a topic uh, related to that, that uh, DVR and I and and our fellow host, um, Michael Beller, have talked about. you know, throughout the the last several months is trying to make fantasy sports and specifically because this is a fantasy baseball show, trying to make fantasy baseball more inclusive. And what suggestions mm-hmm. might you have or ideas that you might have to do that? Because the thing is, it's it, in a way becomes sort of a self-perpetuating, you know, white male bubble uh, because this is this is, you know, largely who's in our community. So, um, Jessica, do you have any mm-hmm. particular thoughts on what uh you know what we can do to make our community a more inclusive and welcoming place this is super fascinating to me kavita's heard this story before but um, my husband doesn't care about sports at all and i don't know this is probably the point when i stopped caring about fantasy sports and this it goes to your question i guess it was like seven or eight years ago um a very close friend group the men in the group were doing a fantasy football league and they asked my husband to join and he was like, no, I don't, I don't know anything about it. You should ask my wife. And they specifically said to him, we are not going to invite her because like her feminist, like, and they're friends of mine. Right. But they still said like I was too feminist. I would like destroy the fun of the group. And that was so hurtful. And so honest in a way that I was like, okay, like, at least I understand this about you all, and I will never forget it. Uh, And so your question is really, like, how do you do it? I think one thing is just having part of it is you asking this question, right? Like you being aware of the fact that it is an exclusive group that can be very off putting to people that don't look like you. And so just starting there, like having a bigger imaginary of like, who actually are fans, I think this is just a problem in sports, sports media, when we talk about ownership, um, who they imagine actually is watching, like sports marketing, right? Like who they imagine fans to be. I think we all kind of shift how we uh, interact in a group when we realize that the group should be more inclusive, right? We There are just things that we, we do to be more careful about how we talk about it. Um, talking about like, who it is we're drafting, right? And like who that might off put uh, based on those decisions that we're making. So I often feel like the very, you're doing the first step, the mo- one of the most important steps, which is just asking these questions. That alone makes people who already feel othered realize that this is a concern of yours and they already start to feel more included. And I'm also going to say that like, 
first of all, not every woman has the same reservations about sports that Jessica and I do. Oh, like, yeah. We're not a monolith. Um, yeah, they get mad at us, too. <laughs> right. 100%. Everyone's mad at us perpetually. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, even though even if I personally have these reservations, I'm also not a dickhead. I'm sorry to put it that way. But like, in the context of of my sports leagues, I'm not going to lecture my friends that I've known for 15 years about a role as Chapman, they already know where I stand on that. I'm just going to personally like, maybe kind of quietly not make that move, right? So I think just the idea that the women are going to take the fun out of it, it's reinforcing that whole man cave mentality, right? Which, you know, just, just let us in, it'll smell nicer. <laughs> True enough. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, Jessica in particular, I think your your friends maybe uh, need to read the book because it comes across very clearly <laughs> that, uh, you know, you're a fan and uh, you wouldn't, uh, you know, put a damper on, on any fantasy league. So, uh, well, I really uh, appreciate the discussion here. And um, I would just, again, urge everybody to uh, pick up your book and read it, Loving Sports, When They Don't Love You Back. Um, and I got to say, the last chapter in particular just really kind of blew me away. So, uh, But the whole book is is fantastic. So um, Jessica Luther, Kavitha Davidson, thank you so much for uh, for joining us for this episode. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much, Al. All right. Well, uh, that's going to be it for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're listening to this episode on a platform that lets you leave a rating and review, we always do appreciate it when you do that. So for Jessica Luther and Kavitha Davidson, I'm Al Melchior, and we'll be right back here on Monday. Monday. 